Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Just because someone puts poison on your plate doesn't mean you have to eat it. My guest today is Robert Raymond Ripple. With high energy and heartfelt style, Robert has used his humor and stories to personally train over 500,000 students around the world. Robert, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm feeling blessed. It's another beautiful day and looking forward to being able to hopefully impart some wisdom. Absolutely. Isn't that why we're doing this? Yep, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. And that's why I've got a big smile on my face. And I know that's probably why you have a big smile on your face as well. Right. One, one of the reasons I started Coaching Call was to help people, you know, because when we think about all that we do, all we're able to do is basically that, right? How can we help someone? And when we help people, it kind of benefits us so much, not only internally, but externally. I mean, because things start to happen. The more we help, the more we receive without meaning to. It just happens, right? <laughs> totally agree. And I can tell you and I are on the same, same wavelength already. Perfect. Perfect. Before we get into, you know, even your book and everything else that you've done with your life, you impact so many people's lives. But before we get even into that, because I definitely want to dive into that, let's talk about what motivated you. At what age did you realize, you know, were you a little guy, were you in your teens, 20s, that you had this gift to, to help people? When would you say was when you really realized it? Yo, oh man, when I really realized it? From a young age, I've always been kind of very entrepreneurial, even though my upbringing wasn't that way. Right. And at the age of uh, 10, I ended up hearing about something that we have in Canada called the cadet organization. Yeah. My, I've always wanted to fly and I wanted to learn to fly. And we're driving with, there's my dad, one of my brothers and my brother's friend. And we're in the car and we're driving along. And my brother's friend's talking about how he's part of something called air cadets. Mm. And how with that, being a cadet, which is ages 13 to 19, he's actually can get his pilot's license through them during camps and stuff like that in the summer. Oh. And I remember going, that's what I want to do. <laughs> but I'm only 10, and I'm like, I can't wait for that long. And my brother who was there, he's like, okay, I'm going to join Air Cadets. And he did with his friend. And I'm like, I'm only 10, is not fair. I found that um, what's called Sea Cadets, so the Navy version, they had a younger, because they were 13 to 19 as well, right. but they had a younger version for kids that started at 10 called Navy League. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, I can at least start that. And then when I'm 13, I'll switch over to Air Cadets. Right. And I, I joined the, the Navy League and I started realizing I was having so much fun because we were learning about leadership. We were learning about discipline. We were learning skills. And part of it was being of service. Mm. We would do volunteer work. We would do other things like that. And I just felt this affinity to, I like helping other people. Right. And I just really, so I'd say that's where it really started for me. Mm. And, you know, subsequently when I got to 13, by the time I hit 13, I'm now the highest rank in the Navy League. 
And I'm like, it doesn't make sense to switch from Navy over to air. So I went into the sea cadets and spent the next uh, six years in sea cadets. And again, just growing like crazy and doing a lot of volunteer work. So it started really young for me. Nice, nice. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring, you know, these programs up. I got to be honest with you. I never heard of them. And my gosh, what a great thing it would be for every young person to know about these programs, especially in the low-income neighborhoods, right? Yes. Would they not be something that they can use? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. We need to let everybody know. Do they, are they still around? <laughs> well, the, in Canada, yeah, we have sea cadets, army cadets, and air cadets. But in the U.S., they have what's called sea scouts. Mm. which, um, you know, is, was the equivalent to what Sea Cadets was for us. Right. And I don't know about for the Air and Army, but absolutely, because, you know, I, I was going to be an officer in the Navy, right. as an example. And I'd actually, through the cadets and stuff, I'd earned a, a scholarship to the Naval Academy in Canada, mm. in the college, the university. And I was set to go and become an officer in the Navy. But at the age of 16, I actually, while I was at a summer camp, I'm spending eight weeks at camp. Right. For the summer. And all of a sudden I hear about one of the, they're, they're taking six cadets from Canada onto one of the armed forces ships for a three month tour of duty to really experience it. Wow. And I'm, I'm going into grade 11 coming out of camp and I hear about this and I get a hold of my CEO and I said, look, can you see if there's any berths left on this trip right. and would I qualify to be on it? And my CEO got in, filled out the paperwork, found out they had one spot left. Mm. I got that spot. And I flew home from camp, spent two weeks at home getting my school work ready because I had to do everything on the ship that I was going to do for school right. since I'm going to miss a whole semester. And two weeks later, I flew back down to the coast and I ended up on an armed forces ship for three months. And it's probably one of the greatest things that could have happened because I got to experience every um, job on that ship. Mm. And at 16, I realized I didn't want to be in the Navy. <laughs> because and, and it wasn't about the work i loved it i loved the traveling i loved seeing it but i was watching the relationships that all the at that time it was only men on the ships mm. i was watching their relationships every port it, they were conditioned to go out and party mm. and spend money and get drunk right and i'm like i don't want that in my life and 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 if we go back in in history you know it's kind of a dark stain but one of the ways that the armed forces was controlling and keeping people in the armed forces by keeping them broke and, and drunk mm. because then they, then they couldn't leave right. because they were reliant on that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank goodness in Canada has changed over the years. Right. But when I witnessed that at 16, I went, that's not the life I want. Right. I want to be able to really live and have great relationships. Mm. And so I made the decision at that point to forego the, um, the college education at the academy because it would have meant a minimum seven year commitment to being in the navy. Right. Wow. That you know you were lucky in a way. Yeah. Because a lot of people think they know what they want. You got a first hand look at, at what you thought you wanted. Right. So exactly. I mean, imagine if we can have that foresight to try something, right? But not have that long commit. Seven years is a long commitment especially for a young man, right? Or young woman nowadays. Absolutely. Thinking about commitments. So many people are afraid of making commitments because of the unknown, right? So if we were able to take a glimpse into our future, then commitment would be easier, wouldn't it? I'm going to agree, but I'm also going to disagree on that. Good, I like that. Yeah, and the reason I'm going to disagree is because looking into our future, would we make the same decision? Mm. You know, one of the questions I get a lot is, if I could go back and talk to my 16, 17, 18-year-old um, self, what would I say? And I struggled with that one for a while because then I realized I would say, don't do anything different. Mm -hmm. Just keep on the path you're on because I look back and people, well, what about the mistakes or the pains you went through? Uh, 2009. I ended up going through two back surgeries mm. because I hadn't been taking care of myself on stage while I was training. And so, well, Robert, wouldn't you want to avoid the back surgeries? And I realized, you know what? 
who I am today is because everything I've gone through. Right. So if I have to go back and say, hey, don't do this, but do that instead, then I would be a different person today. You would be. And I, and I wouldn't maybe have helped as many people around the world as I've been blessed to help. I wouldn't have the people in my life I have because I would be a different person. You know, had I not gone on that ship at 16, my life would be totally different because I would have entered the armed forces. Both of my brothers, they both were in the armed forces, one for eight years and one for 20. Mm. And I watched their lives. And so I look back and I go, thank goodness I did at 16, I go through that experience. Right. So I wouldn't change anything going back. And it's what I love to teach people now. Some of your greatest gifts that you have to give the world come from the hardest times you've gone through. Mm-hmm. And so why eliminate that? Because who you don't know who's waiting for you to enter their life and say, I know what you're going through because I went through it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of, oh, I think I know what you're going through. So just do this and it'll make your life better. Yeah, right. <laughs> and their, their BS meters going, yeah, you don't know what I'm going through. But because we go through those things, we can help people. Yeah. Adversity is our greatest teacher. It is. And, and the people who hurt us, we, we sometimes we feel hatred or this, this feeling towards other people who may have hurt us. But in reality, when I look back, I thank them because they may have hurt me, but they taught me a valuable, valuable lessons I wouldn't have known had they not done that. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And you know, one of my books that I'm reading right now, rereading, I should say. Gotcha. I love rereading. You get to, you get a different perspective, right? Oh, it's this book here, The Four Agreements by Mm -hmm. Don Miguel Ruiz. And it ties into what you were just saying, because one of the agreements don't take things personally. And you understand that even when someone says or does something to you that feels so personal and it hurts, it, when you realize it actually has nothing to do with you, it, for me, and I can only speak from my experience, of course, it's given me a level of compassion I never realized. Because once I get through, say, an anger of like, how dare they, or why did they do this, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden I sit there and I start thinking about this book and w- what it teaches, I go, wow, if that had nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. what dark place must they be in to have that poison coming out of them? And all of a sudden, I feel compassion for them. And, I, and I'm able to open my heart up and say, you know, and, and look, it's not like I'm saying I have to go and then go kumbaya, you know, you're amazing <laughs> yes. and I want to be with you. Right. But I can, I can feel compassion for them and send them energy of, you know, that their life maybe um, can be a little easier mm-hmm. instead of being the, hanging on to that anger, which is only going to hurt me yeah. by hanging on to it. And so that's been a huge lesson for me when I, Keep thinking about that. Don't take things personally. And people go, but Robert, they said this and they said that. Right. But it's the law of projection. They're only spewing onto you what's going on inside of them or what they believe about themselves. So if you understand that, imagine the hurt they're going through. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make it right. No, you're right. It doesn't make it right. No. <laughs> but look, have compassion because that's what, in my opinion, what the world needs more and, um, right now, especially. And if you understand that too, I love what he says. He says, just because someone puts poison on your plate doesn't mean you have to eat it. Correct. I love that quote. I love that. Because, you know, and, and like I said, I've learned to forgive those people who've hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. But I learned that, thank God, I learned at a very early age. I was 18 when I did that. And, and for me, that totally has changed my perspective. And people say to me, man, you like everybody. I said, yeah, because guess what? At one point, they were beautiful little babies <laughs> and they were innocent. So true. It's the circumstances. It's the, the environment. It's who's touched them that has made them have ill towards, towards other people or their actions. You know, even everybody who's in jail right now, at one point, they were cute little kids. They were babies. They were beautiful. So everybody has beauty inside of them. And if we can see that and see past the nonsense, we can give them a chance. So true. So true. You made a decision to not go into the armed forces. What did you do? <laughs> well, at that same age, um, you know, this amazing young lady entered my life. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> so I'd, known her, I'd known her since I was 13, but 
like, I can only speak for myself again. I can be very clueless. Mm. And I didn't know she liked me. And at the age of 16, she finally was like, okay, buddy, I've had enough. (laughs) You're going to notice me. And in a game of touch football, she tackled my ass to the ground. And I was upset because she tackled from behind. I'm like, I'm running for a touchdown. And I'm like, who the tackled me? This is touch football. (laughs) Until I turned around and I saw it was a girl. And as soon as I turned around, I'm like, oh, because in my (laughs) mind, and this is ego speaking, in my mind, it was like, she's got to be pretty amazing if she was able to tackle me. And I, I, she caught my attention. We were actually doing a volunteer weekend and we'd had a chance to have a break because she was in cadets with me and we were, you know, taking a break from volunteering. And that's why we were playing football. The next day we were back volunteering and I got the courage to ask her to be my girlfriend. And she said, yes. And three years later we got married and we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And she is the person that's been the guiding light for me because in my upbringing, it's here's the box. Mm. Don't question the box. Don't think outside the box. You just do what you're told. And in her, she was um, the youngest of five kids raised by a single mother. Mm. So in her upbringing, it was what box you figure out and whatever needs to be done to keep moving forward. That's what you do. And so at a young age, we're newlyweds. And all of a sudden I'm being laid off from yet another company because they're shutting a factory down and I'm trying to find a real job. I can't find anything because our economy's in the tank at the time. And I start delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza because luckily one of the things I was taught and I truly embrace them um, today still is you do what you need, whatever it takes, whatever job to take care of your family. Correct. You know, and how many people today they'll go, oh, I'm not going to do that. Okay, you're broke. Your family's not doing well. Mm. Uh, why not? Well, I don't like that work. Go and freaking do the work. <laughs> Support yes. your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, because of my work ethic, I went from being a driver to being able to be a manager. My wife became my assistant. And because we both know how to work hard, we started working open to close seven days a week. And a year and a half in, we were facing being laid off again because our franchisee decided he wanted out of Domino's. Mm. He was selling his two stores. And my programming went to, oh, crap, we better call other franchisees in the area, find out who needs managers, because we're both about to lose our income. Mm -hmm. And my wife looks at me and she's like, why would we do that? We're qualified to be franchisees. Why don't we just buy this store? And I looked at her and I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why we don't buy this store. <laughs> you know, hello, money. Yeah. And um, but because of her tenacity, we start learning. How do you buy business if you have no money? And we made a lot of mistakes, Steve. Mm. We made a lot of mistakes. Right. And, but we learned from them. And over the next three to four months, we started getting the confidence. We knew what to say, what not to say. And all of a sudden, we had the confidence to approach our own bank. And we didn't get the financing for our store. They actually gave us 100% financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. Mm. And we became franchisees at the age of 23. And it was like, oh, you know, we're now successful. We've got it made. However, we knew how to run a Domino's, but we didn't necessarily know how to run a business. And totally different. But again, sheer tenacity. You know, for the first two years, when our accounts look back at the books, they're like, how did you guys survive? You shouldn't have been able to make it. Mm-hmm. But we were too tenacious to quit. And then we started making some pretty good money. But again, both coming from very poor families, we started um, spending more money than we were earning because it's like, wow, we're now making money. And at the eight year mark of being franchisees, we are now over $150,000 in personal debt Oof. and going down quickly. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, I haven't experienced stress like financial stress. I think that's got to be the worst stress I've ever gone through. And, but that stress and that situation led us to going to a personal development training, a three-day training that changed our life. Because first we learned why we were in debt, how we had created it. Second, we learned more importantly to take ownership, Mm. to actually take ownership of our debt, quit blaming other people. I was good at that. They lost my investment. It's because of them, this didn't work out. And when we learned to take ownership of it, we were then able taught some, if we want to get out of financial stress, what are some specific actions we can take? We put those into place when we left the training. Next thing you know, we went from over $150,000 in debt to actually being retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32. And that's exactly what our mind says. It went, (laughs) wow, if this information gave us that result, what would more learning do? 
And that's when I became a student again. Mm. I realized that, and, and it's a universal principle I, I so believe in and live by. It says, your wealth can only grow to the extent that you do. So the moment I quit learning, I know I'm done. Right. The moment I think I know it all, I know I'm done. So I became that lifelong learner. And from that moment, I tapped in and realized my passion was to teach others. Yeah. Going back to helping, right? Back to that 10-year-old kid. I knew I loved helping others. And it was like, and here's how my dream started with this of being, um, a, of being a trainer was, if I could even help one person, mm-hmm. one person accomplish what my wife and I go from being in debt to financial freedom, it would make it all worthwhile. And since then, last 30 or last 20 years, I've been blessed to travel around the world several times and personally train over half a million students in live three to five day trainings, anywhere from 100 students at a time to 6,000 and living my passion and loving what I do. That's awesome. And your passion, right? How does it feel when someone comes to you and says, you've changed my life? One arm, two arm, or whole body goosebumps. Yeah. And to me, it's one of the greatest. And it usually is even like, do you remember when you said this? Here's how it's impacted my life. And I love that. And, and sometimes it gets tense. You know, uh, as an example, I'm in Toronto the one time. I'm walking down the hall, going to the conference room. I've got 2,500 students in the audience waiting. You know, it's, it's the second day. And I'm headed to the, to the stage. And all of a sudden, around the corner in the hallways, a woman comes around the corner. And the moment she sees me, she stops and she looks at me and goes, you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> she goes, I want you to know that because of you, I quit my job and I left my husband. Mm. Now, if I was a new trainer at that time, I would have went, oh, crap, I want my mommy. I'm in trouble. <laughs> but I, I, I smiled and I went, and? And she broke into a big smile and she goes, I'm now with my soulmate. And I'm living my passionate life. Mm. Thank you so much. Can I give you a hug? And I'm like, absolutely. And even today, you know, it, it tied into, you know, she went from something she was hating, but she enjoyed it, but it became monotonous and she learned to hate it because she felt she had to do it, right. which was being a hairstylist. Mm-hmm. But, and she started tapping into her love of art. And she went from being doing love of art to all of a sudden doing, um, being asked to do um, anime or not animation, but um, being the graphic designer and artist for some children's books, which she loved. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and her and her soulmate have been, now been together for 12 years uh-huh. and she's just loving life. And so, you know, just that lights me up when people share those kind of stories with me. I love it. It's, it's really very cool when we can help someone find their purpose mm-hmm. because sometimes they're living someone else's purpose, right? Their parents' purpose, the, what their parents want them to be, a doctor, a lawyer, this or that, or take over the family business. And instead of finding out what they truly have a gift for, and it's that purpose. And so many people still, they've been at a job for 20 years and they still, you know, they don't necessarily wake up happy to go to that job. Even though the money may be amazing, they may be, may be living in a beautiful home, but there's that disconnection between something missing, their purpose and, and, and what they're doing. So yeah, kudos to you. And it takes courage. It takes courage. And, and especially as I travel to the countries where that pressure is put on, you know, hey, do whatever you want, as long as you're a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or this business has been in the family, you're expected to take it over. And, and, and that pressure is put on them and the courage that it does take to make those steps that I, I totally applaud in people when they can, you know, because I travel so much BC before COVID, you know, I used to fly 200,000 miles a year on average around the world training. And when I would, I love to meet people and say, I'm sitting on um, the plane, I get to know the person beside me. One of the first questions I ask is like, what do you do for a living? And then they tell me. My second question is always the same. Do you enjoy it? And it's amazing how many people say no. So then the third question I follow up with is, so why do you do it? And the most common answers I get are I'm good at it or I make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And and I'll look at them and sometime during the conversation, I'll say, can I say something? They're like, yeah, those are the wrong reasons to do it. If you're not enjoying it, especially, even though you're good at it, even though you may make a lot of money, 
Are you waking up passionate every day? Are you waking up going, I don't want to go to work today. I hate what I do. Is that really living? No. No. Not at all. And that's where the courage comes in. But Robert, I can't, I can't, my family, if I, you know, do what I'm passionate about, my family will pay the price. I'm not saying quit what you're doing and full on go into what you're passionate about. Start it. Mm -hmm. And learn how to make money doing what you love on a part-time basis. And then as you get that going and more and you're living the life, when it gets to the stage where you're now able to replace the income of your full-time job or business, then make the switch over. I'll never tell someone to put their family's you know, well-being in jeopardy and make a, a sudden change. You can do it in transition, but what do our minds do? Our minds go all or nothing. Right. And because it goes to that phase, it tends to always be the nothing. And then we live that miserable life instead of going, what could I truly do that I love today? And start small mm-hmm. and just start that part-time. And you'll be amazed at where that can take you. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of times when I do travel as well, I would love to have engaging conversations with the people next to me. Doesn't happen too much. A lot of times, you know, they, they throw on a mask and they go to sleep. Um, also, I, I like to travel red eye. So, you know, I'm wide awake and I'm like ready to go. So I always bring a book or I bring my computer and I'm going to do some work anyway. But for me, when we think about the opportunities that present themselves daily, and because we're so stuck in what we're doing, we miss them, right? Oh, yeah. Daily. Oh, yeah. Daily. I mean, the opportunities are boundless. But, uh, and you, like you said earlier, people don't, oh, I can't do that job. Hey, do it temporarily, right? Make it, you know, don't switch careers overnight. Take, instead of going home and watching TV, take that time and do something with it, right? Make your life worth living. Yeah. And, and, and test it. Yeah. Test it. I, you know, here in Alberta, we have oil. So especially when I was a kid, it was all about work in the oil field. Mm. They're the ones that make the most money. Or work at the post office because once you're there, you're guaranteed they can't get rid of you. Right. Or work, get a job with the city because I was taught, look for the security, right? Uh-huh. But I was always curious, and I was, that's my nature. And so I always like, well, I want to try these jobs to see. And so my one brother-in-law, as an example, um, and he's actually visiting us right now. He's in my house <laughs> right next door here. And um, he, was, he was a driller on the oil rigs. Mm. And we're having a family dinner and stuff. And we're at his place. And all of a sudden, he gets a phone call. And he goes, oh, such and such can't make it tonight. And he looks at me. And as a joke, he goes, hey, Robert, you want to join me on the rig tonight and, and do some work? And, I, and because I've always wanted to try it, because I thought, hey, let's see if I like it or not. I said, sure. He says, really? We're working the midnight to 8 a.m. shift, and it's an hour drive each way? I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I, I don't have to work tomorrow, so let's do it. And so we hopped in his vehicle. We went, and I experienced what it was to be on the rigs for that day. And he said, it's going to be an easy night. We're just going to be drilling, so we're probably going to be sitting in the shack, not doing much. Well, we get there, and the driller he was replacing said, oh, we're tripping, which means having to pull all the pipe out and break them the, you know, at the joints, break them apart. Right, right. And so for eight hours, we were pulling pipe. And I'll tell you, and he put me on the big tongs, you know, <laughs> and holding. I learned I did not want to be in the oil field <laughs> business. And so thank goodness for that experience. Right. But how many people, they like you and I were talking about earlier, they think they want this, or they, but until they try it out, they don't know. And then all of a sudden, they put a, such a big investment of time, learning, energy, money, into a career, whatever they think they want to do, because they've been told it, and then they get there and realize they hate it. Right. But yet they're afraid to then, but I would waste that investment. Mm-hmm. I've already invested so much. I got to keep that. Well, next 30 years later, how have you lived? Because right. you've been doing something you didn't like. Yeah. And then you're miserable. And, and, and not only does it transfer over to your job, but it also transfers over to your family, your lifestyle. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everything you're doing. You know, people are going to go, oh, he's miserable. He had a tough day at work. No, you should come home and be happy that you're going to spend time with these people who you chose to have in your life, right? Who, you, who is in your circle, right? So you should be happy when you get home. You should be enjoying. Listen, we don't know when we're going to die, right? Yeah, you can still be tired, yeah, but you're not stressed. Right. You can still be stressed, but you're not miserable. Right. It, it all ties together. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I I was sitting at a family function too, and someone's boyfriend said, hey, you know, I work at a wood shop. 
and I've always built stuff. And I was like, hmm. I said, I have these hours free. They're looking for help. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll find out. So he told me, come down. And the guy that was the, the boss was, uh, he was in the business for 50 years and the guy was precise on everything. I talked and he was German. So it was German engineering right, right there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and man, did he teach me so much. I did it because I enjoyed it. It wasn't because I needed it. And now I have my own wood shop and I do it because I enjoy it. I don't have my wood shop because I have to pay the bills with it. I have my wood shop because I like to build things. That's it. So, and I, I make, you know, whenever ever I do build for a client, I'm not cheap. I am one of the more expensive guys because I use that precision I learned on how to build high quality furniture or anything. And when we think about passion, it's when I did my woodworking or when I do my woodworking even now, I put my passion into it. So when we can do that, that speaks volumes. Oh, it does. Because not only am I able to produce something that I'm proud of, but other people like, how on earth did you come up with that? Or you, you did that? And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I go into my wood shop every day and I'm like, eh, I'm not building anything today because I don't feel like I have to. But it's a choice I make. So every day when I wake up in the morning, I make a choice. How am I going to live my life today? And how many people out there in the business world can say that? Oh, yeah. Because they have deadlines. They have obligations. They have things that they have to do. And I'm okay with deadlines and obligations and things I have to do, but not if it's going to make me miserable, right? And, and being that 40, 50, 60 hours a week, week after week after week. And, and a, kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel for people who may be listening to this that are going, you know, wow, they're speaking my language. I hate what I'm doing. You know, I can't believe I was doing this. The kind of the light at the end of the tunnel is to realize that everything you're going through is what you and I were talking about earlier. Every experience is making you who you are. So what you're going through right now, what skills are you learning from that that you can take into something else? Yeah. And I'll use an example because I love that you're talking about woodworking. One of the, a job my dad helped me get, the second real job I had. One of his clients, because he was selling industrial cleaners to all these different um, gas plants and shops, right. it was a fiberglass shop. And he helped get me a job where I was working doing fiberglass and I was doing quality control when the fiberglass, was, you know, the mold had been chopped and rolled out and I was doing the rolling and then I do quality control and, and then they even got me laying down chop. Mm. I hated that job <laughs> because three o'clock in the morning, every morning I'd wake up scratching and itching because the fibers were going into my pores. Right? right. And I only did that job for a few months, but I was taught you be loyal. And before I'd been hired on there, I put in an application to a, a factory that was going, wasn't open yet. They were just building it. And it was a, a factory that was going to make cedar doors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working for this fiberglass company for about five, six months when all of a sudden I get a call saying, hey, um, you had put in an, uh, an application. We're now starting the interview process. Would you um, be willing to come down? And I'm like, absolutely. But I'm very loyal. I said, I'm going to tell my bosses and let them know what's going on. And at the time I was making, I think, $6.75 an hour, mm. which was, you know, it was enough to get by. Right. It was enough to supp- support me and my girlfriend and our fiance at the time. And so I went to my bosses and I said, look, you know, um, a place I had applied to before I started working here, they're now doing interviews and I've agreed to go down for an interview. I want to let you know. And they said, well, Robert, if we love your work, if they did um, decide to hire you, please let us know what the income is. And because if we can match it, we'd love to keep you. And I'm like, absolutely. Even though I hated the job, my loyalty was Mm. I would still be there. Right. Right. And I went down to the job and I'm doing the interview and they call me back for a second interview. And they go, here's the thing. We're thinking of you for general labor. General labor starts at $8 an hour. And so my mind, I'm like, wow, an extra dollar twenty-five an hour. Huge. Mm-hmm. He said, but well, we noticed that you're doing quality control in the job you're doing right now. And I said, yeah. Well, our, we also have an opening in quality control when the doors are coming off the line. And that starts at $10 an hour. And we think that would be the job we'd like to hire you for. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and then there, and plus benefits and this and this and this and this. And I'm sitting in my seat and I'm in disbelief. And I didn't even think about it at the time. It took until years later. Had I not taken that one job and learned quality control, I would not have been offered a higher position in the new job. And now, and here's what I told him in the interview. I said, my bosses mentioned that, you know, if they can match my wage of what you guys offer me, you know, would I stay with them? And I'm going to hold to that commitment first. 
So I'll have to let you know tomorrow. And they're like, we respect that. Not a problem. I went back to my bosses. I said, you know, look, they're talking about putting me at 675 from 675 to $10 an hour and benefits, which I don't have here. And they looked at me and they said, Robert, we appreciate you being upfront with us. We can't, you know, match that. So thank you for all your service. How long do we have? And I said, well, I'm giving you, you know, at least two weeks notice. Right. Because again, I want to honor that. And, and they said, thank you for being upfront. We appreciate it. And, you know, if you need a reference, we will give you a glowing reference. See, I'm a big believer. Don't burn your bridges Ever. either, right? You, <laughs> yes. You, you, t- you, you be respectful with people. You keep your commitments. And what's interesting is I started working for this other job. And I wondered why my supervisor at the fiberglass shop was really, he, he, the owners took it well, he didn't. And I found out later that he had actually applied to be a supervisor at the door factory and didn't get hired. And he, the fact that I got hired on working, he got really upset at that. More resentment, I would believe. It was, it was. And what he knew that I didn't know is that had I not got that job, three weeks later, the fiberglass company actually had to shut down and I was going to be laid off anyway. Mm. And so, you know, and, and I look at it as because a, when I make a commitment, I keep it. Even if it's to something that I went, wow, I shouldn't have made this commitment. But if I made a commitment to it, I'm holding to it. Commitments are that important to me. Unless the, me and the other party agree that we can, you know, stop the commitment. Because that's, you know, and that's led my life. That, and I teach that around the world now. And from that, going into that job doing doors, I got to watch and marvel at how woodwork was done. Mm. How, you know, from that raw piece of cedar, being able to plane it and then putting the tongue and grooves in and, and um, assembling it and doing the quality control, even doing glazing and putting glass in the doors. I did all aspects. And because I knew, I thought I wanted to be with this company for 40 years and be my own general manager. I ended up, you know, going to school at night um, to, and it became where I was running the shipping and receiving department. And then I got to inside sales and all of a sudden, yeah, surprise, surprise. Two years later, they're going, oh, you're laid off. We're shutting the factory down because mm. the general manager had made some really bad decisions and lost millions of dollars. So they shut the factory down. But that experience, I've taken it into everything I do today. Even though I thought I was going to work for this company for years, I look back now because then I was pissed. (laughs) But now I look back and I go, thank God I'm not doing that job because it wasn't my passion. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. But the experience there allowed me to be where I am today. Yeah, What you were talking about, I kept thinking we call it, I guess in Chinese martial arts, we call it uh, eating bitter, right? Because... Mm-hmm. In order to taste something really delicious, sometimes you need to know what the other side of it is, right? So we call it eating bitter. Like you have to go through the grueling times. You have to endure the hardships. For you to see the great scenery, you have to climb the mountain. In order to climb the mountain, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough terrain getting up there. Yes. If you've ever done any climbing, it's not an easy ride up. Right. Unless you're in a car, that's different. But, <laughs> but if, if you're actually trying to climb a mountain, you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have things that come up. Things are going to slow you down. They're going to pull you down. But when you get to the top and you can see everything, there's the beauty. Oh, there's everything. Oh, yeah. The struggle, the hard work, it all pays off. But you have to go through that. And and, and eating bitter is like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing today. I'm doing it because I know tomorrow will be a better day. So whatever I do today is to make my tomorrows better, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons I've been looking forward to this interview with you is, you know, seeing the word Sifu. You know, some people may not know what that means, but um, I've been very blessed. I have not been in martial arts and that myself, but for the fa- past 15 years, um, I've been very blessed to train around the world and students with an amazing gentleman. And when we do a five-day, one of our five-day trainings that we do in Malaysia, as an example, mm-hmm. when we go to Malaysia, he is Sifu and he does a very specific piece. And his team is made up of five masters and one grand master in martial arts. And I love these people because they are some of the most humblest people you've ever met. And the arrogance, there's no arrogance. And that I'm watching it and feeling it resonate through you is the same. Mm, appreciate it. The calmness, the center, the, peace, um, the peacefulness, because I know you've eaten the bitter 
as well as to, to get to being a Sifu. It's not about, hey, I'm, a, I'm this degree, I'm this, don't mess with me, I'll mess you up. Yeah. The true masters are the ones that have that peace. It's not about the fight. It's about the just let's exist, let's flow, and let's utilize the energy. And, and so I've been looking forward to this interview because I, I want to see, I want to see if their energy is the kind of energy you have and your calmness, your centeredness. I'm just, I'm eating this up, Sifu. Oh, I'm loving you. it. So I appreciate <laughs> you being you. I appreciate you. When we think about everything we can take, I'm, and, and don't get me wrong, in the martial arts, and I love it, and I've been in it since you know I was 10 years old. And I've come across a lot of egos in the martial arts. I mean, a tremendous amount. Like any industry. And, and most, in a lot of industries, especially when people feel the power, right? Mm. And it's, it's, it's those rare few who you know, they're just genuine. They're, they're giving with their heart. They're not thinking of, hey, I'm on this big podium and you're just a, you know, a peon. So that's the kind of people I kind of like exactly. pull myself towards. And the people who have the big egos, I let them have their big egos because, you know, they, 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 they've worked so hard for them. <laughs> they, they need to keep them. <laughs> and it's their journey. You know, yeah. who are we to say your journey's wrong for you? Right. It's their journey. Absolutely. And, you know, we can only hope that they get what they get out of it, that, you know, maybe one day they come to a centeredness on it. Because uh, I see that in the training industry as well, oh, yeah. is the amount of egos and and you have a choice. And I, uh, here's what I call it in the training industry, because I, I have been blessed to train thousands and thousands of trainers. And I tell my students right up front, at a certain point, you're going to go through what I call the starstruck stage. It's the stage where it's like, wow, everybody loves me. Look how amazing I am. And I say, I want to be honest. It's not that you're, you may or may not go through it. Every single one of you is going to go through it. I went through it. Hmm. So it's, it's not a question of if you will or not. The question is, is how quickly can you get through it? How quickly can you realize that if you're truly doing this because you love it, you're there for your students. Mm -hmm. You're there for them. Because the moment you can be great, you can be amazing. But the moment you drop into that you're there for them, that's when you truly start living and fulfilling who you truly are and, and why you're meant to be there. Right. And, um, and when I mentor people, I'll even tell them when I do one-on-one -on -one mentoring, I'll say, look, there's going to be a point where you think that you've got it all figured out. No hard feelings, no emotion around it. At that point, our mentorship ends. And as you go on your journey, if once you go through kind of that and you start to get the center, if you want to come back and mentor again, then we can have that discussion. But I'm not going to bang my head against the wall once you get to the point where you're in that starstruck stage, because there's really nothing I'm going to be able to teach you because you won't be in the space to hear it. So I'm letting you know that upfront so that it's not like, whoa, what's going on? It'll just be, hey, you know, our mentorship's ending. Yeah, yeah. It, I, it's so funny. I had a conversation with a gentleman um, last night, and uh, he was considering, you know, having me help him. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know. Da, da, da. I said, look, it's your choice. I'm going to tell you, I would love to work with you, but it's your choice. I said, and I'm going to tell you, I don't work with everybody. And I'm going to tell you why. And he, he couldn't understand it at first. He goes, well, why wouldn't you? It's money. You, you don't want. I said, no. <laughs> I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, look, if I go to a job and every time I go to a job, I see someone I don't like. Why would I want to continue? And, and it's more and more people I don't like. Do I want to continue going to that job? I said, absolutely not. I said, so when you work with me and when I accept you and we both accept each other, you got to accept me and I got to accept you. That's right. I said, but I said, once I accept you, your family. That's how I see you, because if I yep. don't even like you for a tiny little bit, and I, I like everybody, so there's got to be something. But if I say, mm, I'm not interested in working with you, I want to wish you the best of luck, and I recommend other people, here's the thing. I need to be happy to see you as a client. If I'm not happy seeing you as a client, then we can't work together. And I said, you're a nice guy, and I would love to work with you, but I'm not here to sell you. You have to sell yourself. Do you want to work with me? And the, he's like, oh, you're amazing, this, that. I said, well, the choice is yours. I said, look, I'm not here to sell you anything. You decide. I said, you need to be happy. I said, I know what I, I want. And I said, I don't want to work with people I don't like. 
and I never will. I used to back in the day when I thought money was everything, right? Right. Didn't we all? Yes. Didn't we all? Yeah. But not anymore. I said, look, I don't need you as a client. So one of the things I do to people is I take it away from them. I said, I don't need you. I said, but if you want to work with me, we both have to be on the same page. Right? It's that commitment. Yeah. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna be invested, you got to be invested. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a lesson I w- I would love your listeners to hear as well. Is is you know it's great to help people at no cost, but a how's your business doing? Mm. And b how much are they really putting in? The rare few people that get something at no cost will actually do the work. Right. And so you know that was a realization I had to come to myself because to me. To me, money is a beautiful side effect. Of course. I get to do what I love and money becomes a beautiful side effect. But there's times I have to remember, I have to own my value and say, if you want to work with me, here is a price. Because I don't have time for people that don't want to put the work in themselves. They're expecting it to just be handed. Well, you're now my mentor, my coach. You're going to create everything. No. And it comes to a question. And, and, and I can imagine in martial arts, you don't get to a level unless you put the work in. Of course. Again, again. Again, again. And one of the um, things I get all the time around the world is people go, Robert, how do I do what you do traveling around the world, being able to impact people's lives the way you do? And I look at them, I say, you want to do what I do, and you've got to be willing to do what I do. That's right. And it's the ugly, boring, behind the scenes work that you don't see. It's not just me on the stage and you're going, wow. You've got to be willing to put in the hours and hours and hours of work behind the scenes so that when you do step on stage, you can be out of your head and you can be truly connected with the audience instead of trying to think what to say. And unfortunately, and I'm like, let me be very clear. The number one thing most people are not willing to do is practice. They're not willing to practice. And so if you're not willing to practice, you think you're just going to be great when you hop on stage. You may be good. Not going to (laughs) happen. You may be okay, but you're not going to be truly Great. And, and, I, and I let them know, I don't say it to scare you off. I want you to understand if you want to get where I'm at, you've got to be able to do what I do on a daily basis. That's why I'll never quit learning. That's why I'll never stop. That's why, you know, as an example, I'm, I'm writing my new book called The Authority Key. And so to show that I'm living what I'm teaching, uh, to show that you can take in any arena in six months, go from zero to being an authority in that arena, if you're willing to put the work in, that's why when I was introduced, how you and I got connected through Podmatch. Right. And when I was introduced to it, I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. I want to be the number one guest. I want to become an authority in podcast. So in the last six months, I've now done 160 interviews Oof. as a guest. Congratulations. I've had, yeah, thank you. And it's because, why? Because I want to make sure that I don't sit there and just speak out of my butt going, this should work. Yeah. If you do this, <laughs> I want to be able to say, right. look. Here's the social proof. I've met this many amazing people because I'm doing what I'm teaching you to do. And yeah, there was days where I'm pulling 18-hour days doing interviews and that. But I, I'm, when I'm done, I'm tired, but I'm not burnt out because I'm going, wow, did I add value? Yeah. Wow, did I maybe um, touch one people's life? May, you know, and some people are going, Robert, why are you on my small podcast? Thank you so much with all you've done. And I'm like, what do you mean small podcast? You're a podcast. And you asked me, and I feel blessed, and I'm getting practice. Yeah. You know, so it's a win-win-win all the way around. And, and people don't, unfortunately, don't realize that I, I'm going to be blunt with them. People go, success and being great is going to take hard work. Yes, it is. But most people are working hard being broke. Yeah, that is so true. But you're already working hard. <laughs> so just change the way you do it. Yeah. Find yeah. your passion and watch how much more fun the journey is. Yeah. And you know, when we think about podcasts, right, you're not, I'm not paying you to be on my podcast. You're not making money on the podcast. And I'm probably one of the few podcast guys out there who doesn't make any money. I don't put commercials on my podcast. The only thing is, you know, it's kind of funny in the beginning, at the end of my my podcast, I say, if if you like the podcast, buy me a cup of coffee, right? Make it a large. <laughs> but I, I try to say that in a funny way, just to let people know that, hey, if you like it, leave me a comment. Leave me a, a star rating. Yeah. But follow it. Because why am I doing this? I'm not making money. I am spending some time editing them. I'm spending time putting them together. I'm spending time talking to the people before they come on my podcast. Like you and I, we had a conversation first. Because I want to make sure that the person I'm bringing on my podcast is going to bring value to my listeners. 
I am loyal. And it's kind of addicting because I get to talk to great people like you, right? And it's so addicting when we can share knowledge with other people. And it has made me so much more aware of the opportunities that everyone can share with the world. Because every one of my guests that I've had, including you, has so much to offer. And you're willing to talk to people. You're willing to help them. You're willing to guide them. And even with your words that you're speaking today, you're speaking volumes into people. And it's only the ones that are ready. I, told, I talked about opportunities. Mm-hmm. And today you're presenting one as well. It's like, don't stop doing what you're doing to provide for your family. Look for something that's going to give you the passion and slowly go for that. Yeah. So I thank you for being on my show so much. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk I, I, about your, your books. Let's talk about your first book that you wrote. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, my first book is um, called, I released in 2017, called Success Left a Clue. Mm. And this is just a culmination of me traveling around the world and noticing what is the differences between successful people and not. And I, I could have... You know, it's interesting. I could have wrote this into a thousand page book because I, as I've been training around the world, I've learned the science, the quantum physics, why the brain works, how it works. And I could have made it a thousand page, giving you all those details. But I knew people would read about the first five, six pages and they'd be go, oh, too deep and put it down. Right. <laughs> so I decided to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this about this book. Do not, do not let the simplicity fool you because I, can, I distilled it down into six very easy to follow steps to really help you change your life. And I love this book. It's become an international best-selling book because, you know, I've been able to be all around the world with it. Mm. I love it. And um, this book here, the forward even written by a good friend of mine, it started off as a mentor, Les Brown, amazing gentleman. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is I didn't write this book for people to read it, put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. Right. That's not why I wrote the book. Right. And good, you got my joke. I see the smile. Um, <laughs> I wrote it because step number three of the six steps is to take action. Probably the number one difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is successful people take consistent action. And so I wrote this as a workbook, meaning there's action steps all the way through it. And one of the things I put in here, Sifu, is is that I'll actually say, because this is me. This book is written in my language. It's my goofiness, my warped sense of humor. And I'll even at the beginning of a chapter say, hey, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back, (laughs) do the action first, and then continue reading. Because I know people are creatures of habit. And you know, what I'd love to say about this book is, because you were so gracious, you were so gracious to invite me on your podcast. And I believe our time is one of our most precious commodities. Totally. And so I appreciate your time. And then the listeners to take their time to listen to our goofiness, that, you know, that's even more amazing. Mm. And so as a gift from you and I to your listeners, if they, I would love to give them the digital copy of this book as our gift to them wow. and at no cost. And now they have to do the action. So they can't just download it, read it. Right. And it, they, if they simply just go to robertriopel.com, they'll be able to download the entire digital copy. And I, I'm going to make a promise. If they download it, read it and do the action step, they will see that they take their life to another level. Mm. And so that's my first book. And I'm now currently writing my second book, which is called The Authority Key, looking to release it first or second quarter of 2022. Really excited about that because that one there, you know, have you ever noticed, um, Sifu, that people can have the same knowledge as you and experience or less, but yet they make more money? Oh, yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Uh And people go, well, how is that possible? Well, it's the difference between how you're perceived. Are you perceived as an authority or not? So in that book, I'm going to be teaching people practical ways to elevate their authority in their job or their business, things like podcasts, writing books, stuff like that. But the main focus is who are you as the person to handle it, to be able to grow with it? Because like money, it's one thing to earn it, totally different thing to be able to hang on to it. And a lot of people, they chase that dream of becoming a millionaire, and then they wonder why they crash, burn and lose it just, you know, way quicker than they ever earned it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the main part of the book is doing the inner work, helping you understand the four phases of life we're always going through, the four currencies of life. Right. And so when you understand these things, that to uh, not only will allow you to elevate yourself as an authority, but then maintain it and be you within it, so you can 
live the life where it's you being congruent with who you truly are instead of trying to pretend to be someone else. Yeah, yeah. When you, you think about the book that you wrote, and the reason I laughed is because you, you called it shelf instead of self, right? Thinking about, and the fact that you're reading a book and you showed it to me earlier, because you're always progressing as a coach, a mentor, you can't stay stagnant. You have to continue that learning process. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's important for everyone to understand that you're giving a gift that's huge. And thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a huge favor to send me the actual book signed by you. And I'll pay you for it. I'll pay for shipping and everything. And, you know, for me, it'll be an honor for you to just sign it for me. And I will read it and take your action steps. Because even though I may be successful, I can only get more successful through your help and through the help of anyone that I come across. Because I'm an avid learner myself and I learn from everyone. And age means nothing. Because I can learn from a five-year-old and you'd be surprised what they can teach you. And you can learn from somebody in their 80s and 90s and so forth. Yes. And that's why I love talking to people, period. Yeah. And, And sometimes, you know, just because someone may look a certain way, or act a certain way, when you actually get to talk to them, man, they have so many nuggets. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So communication is huge. It is. When we think about it, right? And you going all over the world and helping people. And I'm sure you come across all different modalities of communication, how people listen, interact, how they even they salute you or say hello. Some people may salute you. Some people may just shake your hand. Some may just wave. Some may bow. It depends on the culture, but it's communication that binds us together. And as long as we keep communication open, it'll be a better world. But we can't, we can't, we can't be selfish. And, And as you're doing, and as I recommend to everybody, don't worry about what you have or don't have. Give it away. Give it away. You know, even though the most expensive commodity we all have is time. Look, you're right now, you're giving me your most expensive commodity. I'm giving you mine. And neither one of us is going to make money off of this. But we're doing something bigger than we are, which is the gift that we're sharing with people, knowledge. Right? Yep. Totally agree. And, and here's the invitation I'm going to make to you, because I have a beautiful library that I'm going to be setting back up because I just moved into my new office. We just built a training center off the back of my home. Right. This past year. Nice. And I have this library that I can say no one else in the world has because it's all these books written by my students that they've given me a copy of. Mm. And I ask them to personalize them all the nice. time. And so I'm flying to Florida next week to do a training. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring with me, because it's easier to mail it from there. I'm not going to bring one of these. Okay. I'm going to bring one of my limited edition hardcover copies, the last, one of the last few I have. Ooh. I'm going to personalize it to you. And I'm going to send it to you as my gift to you for the work that you do oh. and um, so that you can add it to your library because I get that you value the library of books that you have just like I do. So oh, yeah. um, I'd be honored, honored to do that. You just got to get me your mailing address, um, sir. And I will, when I'm down in Florida, I will autograph that book, personalize it to you, and I will send it on its way to you. Beautiful. One of the things that I want everybody to know is that I'm going to put your, your link in the description for the book so that everybody can download it. Because I think everybody listening should download it. Learning is what keeps me alive. Yes. I have to learn something every single day. Absolutely. If I don't, am I living? Absolutely not. I have to learn. One of the things I don't do is watch the news. There's nothing there to learn. Oh, you mean like CNN? Constantly no, negative news? No, no, no. You know, I'll be exactly. very honest with you. I, I, I drive about five, six minutes every day. And then that's the time I put on the, the news to listen to what's going on in the world. It's, it's a world news. So I know what's happening on in the world. And that's all I, go, I care about. Boom, I'm done. Yeah. And, and, and look at the science behind it, because you and I are absolutely on the same wavelength. Um, I wake up every morning and on LinkedIn, I have, here's what's going on. And that's the only thing I read about news. So again, I'm aware it takes me like 30 seconds to breeze through it. And to know what I need to know, because research has shown and proven, science has proven that for every one minute 
of negative information or energy that comes your way, it actually takes you five times or five minutes of positive, uplifting energy just to neutralize the one, not even to get ahead of it, just to neutralize it. And so I look at it and I go, why would I subject myself to all that negative energy when it's going to take me five times as long just to neutralize it, let alone get ahead and actually have a good day? So you, you and I are in the same wavelength. That's why I don't listen or watch news. And I use that, my link every morning. I'll look at it. Here's what's going on. Great. That's all I need to know for the day. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That, that's everything, right? Robert, you are, I can't wait to meet you in person, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a blast. Absolutely. I know it. What would you recommend to somebody? Because you are training trainers. You are, you are helping people become what they really want to become. Yeah. What advice would you give someone to go for it? Yeah. Well, it, that's the advice. Go for it. That's it. And, and quit trying to do it on your own. So many people, and it's our conditioning that we're raised with that we've got to figure out on our own. No one can do it as well as us. We can't ask for help. That's weakness. That's all crap. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all crap. And I, I have a little formula I call my, it was original, one of the original titles of my book. It's three, two, one, rich. And the three, two, one, and rich, when I talk rich, I'm talking about mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial, because we are holistic beings. And so you've got to work on all areas, not just the money. And so what my formula stands for is have at least three coaches in your life, have at least two mentors in your life, and be part of at least one mastermind. So if you follow that, and so you can have a success coach, a business coach, relationship coach, coaches for all different parts, right? If you have the coaches, the ones that hold you, guide you, um, pull out of you and keep you accountable. The two mentors, those are people who want to or have accomplished what you want. They're not there to coach you. They're there to say, hey, you want to get where I'm at? Do this, do this, do this. Like when I mentor someone and it's pretty blunt and they pay me a lot of money to do it. Mm-hmm. I say, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a task and you don't call me back until you've done it. I'm not sitting there to coddle you, hold you and say, why aren't you doing it? And I'll have some students, I won't hear from them for months, even though they paid me up front. And other ones, I hear from them the next week because they're like, okay, done. Here's the results. Thank you. I'm ready for the next thing. So mentors are the people that have accomplished what you want. And they're there to be able to show you, do this, do this, do this, plain and simple. Mastermind groups, oh my goodness. Mm. You know, uh, as Napoleon Hill said, what a mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. But of course, the Einstein said, you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. So that's where the mastermind comes in. Talk about getting out of your own way. Being able to have a group of growth-minded people where you're there to help solve each other's problems or give insights to help a person get through it. That's powerful. That is powerful. So if you do that three, two, one, you will be rich in all areas, areas of your life. So that'd be my recommendation of how to get going forward. I absolutely agree. And that's why I believe in coaching so much. Yep. And I love the fact that you said you need to get a coach because I believe in that so strongly. Yes. That I always recommend someone. And a lot of people say, well, a coach is too expensive. <laughs> it's going to cost you more money not to have a coach. Yes. Right. And it comes back to that exchange of value. You know, if you're not invested financially, you won't be invested. That's a pain point that gets people. Sometimes they'll only do what needs to be done because they're like, damn it, I spent the money. I better you know, get my value out of it perfect reason. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason to do it. Well, Robert, I can't afford a coach right now. Then find a, a value that you can give an exchange for that coaching. Because right. if there's no exchange of value, it's a one-way street and you'll be on the losing side of it. You sure will. And, and it, you know, and it, it's something a, a mentor of mine taught me years ago. And, and I'm going to put this question out to all of your listeners. How many of you would love to have, say you're in your own business, whether you are or not, How many of you would love to have the most amazing clients and customers coming to you and willing to pay what you're worth? Like that's every business owner's dream, Mm -hmm. right? And what he said is he said, if that's what you want to attract, you're only going to attract the customers that are a a reflection of you. So if you're sitting there and you're going, well, I want this for free, or I want the deepest discount on that that no one else gets, then those are the customers you're attracting to you. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering why you're getting frustrated that no one wants to pay you your worth. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm just going to leave that with them. <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. You know, it's, it's the value. If you want things for free, guess what? Your customers are going to want things for free too. Yep. When we put value into anything, my kid's grandmother, before she passed, she would shop at only the most expensive stores. And one time her daughter said, Mom, 
why'd you buy that blouse for $350? I'm talking back in the, in the like eighties. And she said, because it's not a blouse that's going to last me a week or a month. It's a blouse that's going to last me a lifetime. That's why I don't mind spending $350. And everything in this woman's house was pristine. And her husband understood that about her. And that's why they became millionaires. Because they understood when you put value into something, it comes back. But you have to put the value in. Without putting value into First, you have to value yourself, right? Number one, you. You, you are the most valuable commodity in the world. Without you, there is nothing. Yep. So let's remember that. We are number one. We have to take care of us first. Yeah, own that with confidence, not mm -hmm. arrogance. Oh, yeah. And, and that, there's a, a big difference there because most people, oh, I'm the greatest. No, that's arrogance. Right. Owning it with that subtle confidence of, yeah, I am important. I do add value. Yeah. Yeah. Robert, I, we can talk for hours, you and I, I can tell. <laughs> I'm just thinking the same thing. And, and I'm going, yeah, we could. And I'm looking at, I've got other appointments. I'm, right, but right. You, and I, you and I could chat for days, I think, days on end. So. And I look forward to staying connected and, and continuing having conversations because I love meeting amazing people like you. I appreciate it. Likewise. Robert, thank you so much for being on, on my show. I really appreciate you. Ah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.